Good morning, church. Welcome. Let's stand and let's worship our Lord this morning. Who asked us to dust, we live and die. But in the sun, in the sun, we are alive. All for one, all for one, from every tongue and tribe. In Jesus crucified, cause Jesus is alive now. Once and for all. Come on, let's sing it out, church. We Facebook Live. This part is not going to be helpful for you at home because today is Communion Sunday. I know you thought I was going to talk about the fact that it's the Super Bowl, but more importantly, Jesus. So 
Today we get to talk about the fact that this is a moment to remember. Um, we do this every single month. And honestly, for a while when I was in college, I went through a phase where I was like, okay, why do we, why do, we do this though? Like what, do we just do things? Because I feel like part of being in like the church is you just do things that a lot of times you never question, you never think about it, you just go through the motions and it doesn't really mean anything to you. Because at the end you're like, that's just what we do. So I really like hate that. And so I started wrestling through, what is it? What is this about? And the crazy thing was, was I was in this Old Testament class, and they, he made us read the entire book at a time in one sitting. We had to read the whole thing, do this whole worksheet on it, go to the next one, do, read the whole thing, do a worksheet on it. And the thing that I kept finding over and over and over again is God bringing up this thing, this theme of remembering. And what are we remembering but the fact that we each are a story. Your life and my life is a story. It is full to the brim with disappointments and hurts and wounds and victories and dreams and hopes and desires and relationships gone wrong and relationships gone well and things still yet to be seen, still yet to be known. And this, when we all come together, we become part of a larger story. The sad thing is, is each of our stories is a tragedy until the moment that Jesus entered into the story and we became a part of the story of redemption. Yours and mine is the story of redemption. And what we remember today, when you go to each one of these, in any of these tables, you don't go to every one of those tables because they all have the same thing, but you're just gonna go to one of them. You grab the elements, you come back to your seat and we're gonna take time as part of our worship because. Worship isn't singing. We use worship synonymously with singing. Worship is focusing on Jesus, what he has done in our lives. This communion is an active form of worship. And if you call Christ your savior this morning, it doesn't matter if this is your church home or whether you like go to journey regularly or your first time today, if Jesus is your Lord, then you are home. And this is a place for you to participate. And we're going to do this together this morning. So for the next two songs, we got the next couple songs. Can I encourage you, take your time. Don't rush over there, grab something, take it, and just shoot it and sit down and, like, wait for it to be over. Take time to reflect. How has the story of redemption impacted your life? And then let us worship together, continuing to worship the God who is taking care of our stories and made them part of his. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much. Thank you so much that you did not leave our stories to play out for themselves. That on our own, each of our stories have a lot of tragedy, but you waste nothing. There is no part of, part of our stories that goes to waste. And you desire to use it all for the good of your kingdom and for the good of us. God, I pray this morning that we would just be impacted, that we would be overwhelmed, not by feelings of shame and guilt and, and how bad we are, but we'd be overwhelmed by a sense of your redemption, of the price paid and the freedom we now have. Pray that we would worship you with thankful hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
As you sing this next part, church, let's believe that our God, he will never fail us. And no matter what season we are in right now, we will be victorious in his name because he is Lord and he is alive this morning. Let's sing, church. Come on, I see you, bro. I see you, bro.
your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. Celebrate the band right there. That was unbelievable. Unbelievable. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Randall. I don't even like singing, and that was pretty awesome. That was awesome. Well, hey, I'm here to talk to you guys about our giving message today. Um, just going to do a short and sweet one. So I think Tyler hit it on the head earlier. He was talking about communion is a, an active form of worship for us, and giving can be that as well. Giving should be that as well. There's, there's two kind of main types of giving we talk about. We talk about tithes. We talk about offerings. Tithe is that kind of steady, regular, the idea of 10% of what we earn goes back to God. Offerings are maybe a little bit more specific. You're, you're, you're giving something to a, a specific cause or something that means something to your heart. But I think the main thing is both tithes and offerings are intended to disrupt us from our normal lives where we depend so much on cash, credit cards, debit cards, Bitcoin, whatever it is. And it disrupts us and it reminds us money's not the central thing in our lives. God is the central thing in our lives and God is the one that's in control. Everybody talks about financial security so much. It's a really common phrase. What about security in God? And when you give, when you tithe, when you make an offering, it breaks you out of those habits and it reminds you, hey, my security is not in finances. My security is in God and Jesus Christ. And I think it's important we remember that uh, today. So whether you're able financially to be tithing regularly or you're just maybe stepping out for that first time or um, just doing that one offering, know that it's appreciated and, and honored by God. So as our ushers come forward, we'll say a quick blessing over the offering today. Dear Lord, we come to you today asking uh, that you disrupt us, asking that you remind us and keep us focused on what is most important. It's easy for us to create false senses of security. It's easy for us to put our faith in things that aren't eternal and don't matter. We just ask that today as we give, and as we make an offering to you, we're reminded that you're the one who's in control and you're the one we find our security in. And I ask that you would bless this offering, that we would use it well, use it to honor you, and to let our community in the Antelope Valley see that this is a church who's doing your will and not our will. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So you can give three ways through the buckets coming by right now. You can go online or you can text GIVE to 661 441 one, one. Well, I've also got announcements for you today. 
uh, we're going to do something a little bit special. Today's first announcement is brought to you by the letter T. So our associate pastor, Tyler, told me about this thing happening two days from today on Tuesday. Tuesday is a time where we can tie together new relationships. It's a time where we can totally transform our hearts by exalting and extolling our God. Now the temperature on Tuesday is supposed to tail off, but Tyler tells me the temperature here will be neither tepid nor too toasty. So join us Tuesday for our worship night and connect night. Thank you. If you thought that was terrible, volunteer signups are at the hotspot right outside these back doors. You're welcome to take my place on stage. No, we're having a worship night, a connect night. If you're new to Journey Church, please, please, please try and be here. It's an incredible event. It's a chance to get to know some people you haven't met before. It's also a chance for us to, again, disrupt our regular week and put God in the center of our week. Um, we're going to be able to spend some time getting to know each other and also worshiping as a church. Tuesday, February 5th, 6.30 p.m. Would love to have you join us. And I'll be here, but you don't have to talk to me if you don't want to. It's fine. Next announcement. We have our Night to Shine coming up this Friday. This is going to be an absolutely amazing event. We are really excited. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw, but the AV Press actually put us on the front page for Night to Shine. This is an event that's going to be so important to the Antelope Valley. We're going to be providing a God-centered night of celebration for hundreds of young people with special needs, as well as all the volunteers that are going to be there. Uh, it's going to be an incredible night. If you are looking and maybe feel called, you wanted to get involved, but you haven't signed up quite yet, we would love to have you help us just with the setup process. It's going to take a lot to put it together. You don't have to go through the whole background check, so there's still some time to do that. If you're interested, find Sarah or Allison. They'll probably be hanging out around the hotspot after service. After that, we've got a ladies group that's going to be starting up, a ladies Bible study, pulled by Lisa T., of course. Thank you. Uh, that's going to start next Monday, so not tomorrow, but next Monday. It's going to run February through mid-March, and it's going to be Mondays 645. Um, and if you're interested, Brienne and Bianca are the ones who are kind of leading that study. So you can find any of them or just get signed up over at the hotspot. We've got marriage retreat also coming up. We have love to have maybe five or six more couples sign up. So if you are married and you've been thinking about it and talking about it and praying about it, consider this your sign. Sign up for marriage retreat. Do it today. Don't wait. Uh, it's going to be a time for us to get away spend time with each other which is so important but also spend time with other married couples because we know marriage can be challenging and we need christ-centered couples in our lives that will help us along the journey then lastly if you're in fifth or sixth grade not mentally but actually uh, we're going to ask that you go ahead and get dismissed as we get ready for our main service those are the announcements i've got today stand up say hello to somebody you haven't met before as dave comes and joins us on stage
Uh, you guys are already sitting down. It just must be the Super Bowl jitters. You're anxious to get out of here and go watch your team lose. And just kidding. You guys are going to have a good afternoon. It's going to be fun. And thank you for coming and hanging out today. I'm Dave, one of the pastors. And if you're new to Journey, again, Tyler said it, but welcome. If you're looking for a home, we'd love to you, for you to consider this being yours because we're special and we've got some good things going on like this. You see this? This is really cool. Where's Allison and Sarah today? Allison and Sarah, our team. There you go. I'm so proud of our team. Anyway, what we have this Night to Shine event is something that's happening all over the world. There are hundreds of thousands of people that are going to be affected. But right here in the Antelope Valley, we're touching people and uh, making a difference and showing people that God's love extends beyond all of our challenges, our difficulties, and our differences. And that's going to be a great thing. I'm just so proud of our team. And they put so much effort into this. And for those of you who are going to participate, I'm really, really proud. I'm excited to be part of this event. So don't forget that. It's coming up this week. Just want to say, you know, uh, way, way to go, team. I'm so proud of you. Also, Tuesday night, as he said, worship night. I love worship nights. I love, unlike Randall, I like music. I don't do well at it, so don't stand next to me. But it, I love being in the environment when the church comes together and they worship. And this is going to be a fun time, so hope you can make it to both of those. Well, we're starting today a brand new series. Let me just ask you something. Your dreams ever freak you out a little bit? You ever have a weird dream? Who had a weird dream last night? Just kind of a crazy dream. I was dreaming. I was, in, I was somewhere in, in some bizarre place, and I realized, you ever seen one of those stick bugs? You know, they look like a stick, but they're really big. I had one on my elbow, on my left arm, and it was the craziest thing, and it had another bug it was munching on. And I could feel it, and I'm like, is it biting me? Is it biting me? And I, I couldn't tell. Do I fling it off? I didn't want to hurt it, but at the same time, I didn't want that massive bug crawling up onto my head or something. And I was just sitting there thinking, what do I do? What do I do? And then it immediately shifted to something else. And then the night before last, I was dreaming that I was flying. And anybody play like Mario or any of those? Okay, well, Mario has a cape, and when he has his cape on, he can go boing, boing, boing. Well, that was my dream. I was like flying over water, and I'd lose altitude, and I'm like boing. You know, I'd bounce it off, bounce off, and I'd get back and get some altitude. It was the craziest dream. And what are dreams anyway? Psychologists say that they're a release mechanism, they're a processing tool, they're all these things. Um, you know, spiritual folks say sometimes they're a way God communicates. Um, it's all of that, and, and let's be honest, they're just weird. Sometimes they have no purpose or meaning that I can tell of. They're just weird. I have a recurring nightmare. Some of you have these. Mine is that I've had it for 34 years, the entire time I've been in ministry, that I'm in a community gathering of some kind or a public space, and all of a sudden somebody turns to me and said, and now Dave's going to give the message today. And I'm like, huh, uh, uh. you know, I don't have a message. I don't have a note. I don't have a Bible. I'm standing in front of this massive crowd of people, and I have nothing to say. It terrifies me. That's why I always preach two sermons for every one hour I get, because it's, I want to make sure I never go to that dream and blow it. But dreams are creepy. Dreams are weird. But sometimes. Dreams have significance beyond our even imagining. And we're going to be talking about the dream of a life that was transformed by the way God interrupted his world, <clears throat> gave him a dream, and then brought that dream through, to fulfillment through some really bizarre circumstances. And I'm going to talk a moment about dreams that I'm not talking about the nighttime dreams that you dream and then they just kind of, you know, filter away during the day. You hope they do, otherwise it's a nightmare. But 
the dreams that I want to talk about for a moment are the kind of dreams you have when you're wide awake. The kind of dreams you have when you're tuned in a little bit to your heart and you're just kind of with a wonderful imagination kind of venturing out into the space of what could happen if. What could my life be? What could I accomplish? What could come my way? What could I be a part of if? And the dreams that we have are sometimes, it's interesting, they come to us almost like they were put in us when we were born. Some of us have dreams that have been with us a lifetime, and it's like there was just something from as early as we can remember. We wanted to do something, be a part of something, write music, or be on stage in a program, or you wanted to be influencing students, you wanted to be part of, you know, saving lives through medicine, or you wanted to engineer and create, and you, we all have some kind of dream. And again, I'm, I'm speaking of that kind of mental, emotional connection to a life that we have in mind for ourselves, that we want. And what we're going to find is in Genesis 37, where we'll be today, is the story of a 17-year-old boy, 17 year old boy who had a dream. And his dream was a little, it was weird, it was, it was wild, and it seemed like the dream would die before it ever became a reality. And over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack his dream. We're going to unpack his story, unpack the life of Joseph as we find it in Genesis. And what we're going to find is that dreams often have a way of coming out of the most bizarre circumstances and leading us through some of the most painful realities. What we found, if you take a look at Joseph's life, I think dysfunctional fits his story perfectly. I think you probably, it's overused. I think people all think dysfunctional. I hear that all the time. Everybody's the dysfunctional. No, let me tell you his story. Let me tell you a little bit about his family. Okay, Joseph had a dad named Jacob. He was the grandson of Abraham. We talk about Abraham, the, you know, the founder of the Jewish faith and Jewish people. Okay, grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac, the son of Jacob. Okay, so it was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in that order. Jacob then had a son named Joseph, the one we're studying. But what about Jacob's story? Just, by the way, God changed Jacob's name because Jacob's name meant and stood for deceiver. Deceiver. How'd you like to be, you know, just called that? Your parents just call you the deceiver. Liar. That's just your name, liar. I mean, that is what he wore for a good part of his life. His name just reflected what the character of his life kind of represented. Because what he did, he lived up to his name. He actually stole his brother's birthright. First, he swindled him out of it over a pot of stew. And then he literally went in and dressed like his brother and went to his father who was blind and stole his blessing. Which meant like, it was like the will, where the signing of the will happens, where the father places his hands on the son, the oldest son typically, and bequeaths to him the, the you know, two-thirds of everything he owns and the blessings and all those kind of things and future prosperity. And this younger son snuck in dressed in his, his brother's clothes and stole the blessing and then he runs for his life that's the dad of our hero Joseph but it's not even just that later what we find is that Jacob fell in he ran to a family place uh, far away and he fell in love with a girl named Rachel who's his cousin nothing weird about that back then he it was it was a cousin and he wanted to marry her, but her dad was also a deceiver and a swindler, Laban. And he tells Jacob, 
hey, I'll tell you what, you work for me. You don't have any money. You came here with nothing. You know, you were running for your life. But I'll tell you what, you work for me for seven years, and we'll consider it a wash. No dowry, but we'll take, I'll take seven years of labor in, in, in exchange for my daughter's hand. You know what? Jacob said, okay. And it said he, his love for her was so great, it seemed as only a few days, that seven years that he spent there. But catch this. On the wedding night, they have the big celebration, the whole community gathers, they have this party, they throw the wedding, and then all the lights go out, and it's time to slip into the honeymoon tent, right there in the middle of the community, and after the events of the tent, they wake up with the first morning rays of light, and Jacob turns over to his new bride and looks at her and is like, Rachel, you're not Rachel. It wasn't Rachel. The dad had snuck in his older, less attractive daughter into the tent before he had his honeymoon night. And it was a dark space, and he didn't know it till morning. Talk about your bad day. <laughs> he was waking up to a reality that literally shocked the pants off him. He found himself in relationship, married to a woman he never wanted, never loved, and yet now was bound to. By the pledge and a promise. He fulfilled that pledge. He kept married to her, but he went out and he had it out with Laban. He goes, I worked for you for seven years. I slaved for you. I slaved for your daughter. I want Rachel. And he goes, well, you can have You got to keep Leah. That's the deal. But I'll give you, you work another seven years for me. I'll give you other one, the other one too. And he did it. Now that's Joseph's dad. That's Joseph's mom. That's the story. <clears throat> that's a bad story. <laughs> so what happens, since they're both married now, to, he's, got two, he's got sister wives, and literally sister wives, and he literally goes and he says, Leah, the older, less attractive one, starts having kids, and having kids, and having kids, and she bears him six sons. In the meantime, Rachel, the one he was in love with, the one he worked all oh, 14 years for, the one that he wanted to have the family through, has no kids. So after a handful of these kids are born, Rachel starts feeling like she's the leftover and she's no good and that she's not given any, you know, progeny for his future. And, his, and so she goes, listen, Jacob, I can't, God has closed my womb. I don't know why, but God has not allowed me to have kids. So here, let's do this. I'm going to give you my maidservant, Bilhah. There's a name for you. I'm going to let you marry her so then maybe she will, then my side of the family will start having kids too. And that's what he does. He marries Bilhah and he takes her in. And sure enough, she gets pregnant, has two kids for him. Well, then Leah stops having kids all of a sudden and she realizes, wait, I'm not having any more kids. Now Rachel's starting to have kids through her servant. I want more kids or my husband will stop loving me and will love her again more than me and I'm, I'm going to be worthless. So she grabs her maidservant, Zilpah, says, now you marry Jacob and start having kids on my side of the family. And he does. And she starts having had, had a couple kids. Then finally, Rachel, out of nowhere, gets pregnant, starts having her own kids. Now we have four wives and four sets of kids. You think your family's dysfunctional. This is the story of our hero. And so of the last two children born... The 11th child, the 11th son, I should say, born to his favorite wife was a son named Joseph. Born to his favorite wife was his favorite son, and the one that followed was named Benjamin. Two favorites out of all 12 kids. He loved them the most. So we, we find this story, and it's kind of like, is this really true? This is so interesting that the lives we lead even the lives that are blessed of God, even the lives that have God's hand and anointing on them, 
are some of the craziest, craziest you would not believe stories when people know the inside story. Your story is not so weird when you look at the Bible. It's not. So we find ourselves in this kind of dilemma of we've got a dad with four wives and 12 sons plus his daughters and there's rivalry, believe it or not. They don't get along. Joseph, being his favorite son, dad takes him, buys him this amazing coat. It wasn't just a coat. People think, well, what's the big deal? He's a multicolored coat. No, it represented this is my chosen son, just like he had stolen his brother's birthright. Now he steals the birthright that was owed to his firstborn, and he gives it to his second to lastborn. Right in front of all of them, he just says, I'm choosing you over everybody. It broke their hearts. It made them feel like they didn't belong, like they weren't loved. <clears throat> and that we find is that God then comes into the story and speaks to this young man, Joseph, and gives him a dream. But what we think is that from that point on, out of this weird, crazy story, Joseph's story would be like this trajectory, like, woo, off to heaven, it's all good. But I'll, I'll just be honest with you. So many times the reality of our story is not all uphill. And the story of scriptural heroes and saints that we look at these days and wish we were like, they start off and go through incredible pain. And what we find is that Joseph had crazy twists and turns for 23 years before his dreams became reality. And that's what we're going to unpack over the next couple weeks. But for every person today who's feeling like somewhere along the line, you started out with this dream, with this desire, with this potential, this, and somewhere along the line, things went off the tracks that somehow the things that you thought would be your life and the, the dream that you had for your future got blown up, got sidelined. You got pregnant before you were ready. You had a death in the family. You had to step up and be responsible. You went through a career change. You went through a loss. You went through some physical difficulty. You went through some unexpected reality that totally stopped in your tracks the dream that you had for your life. You had a failure in business, you had a financial loss, you had some other thing that happened, and your reality is so much different from your dream that you think they're too far apart that they will never come back together. But let me just tell you, when life isn't turning out the way you planned, don't give up on your God-given dreams. I think if Joseph were here today, that's one of the messages he would send. If your reality does not line up with your desired outcome and you feel like God has led you to a belief about your future or led you to a dream about who you could be, don't give up on your God-given dreams. The whole series is about dreams. But I want to speak just today about those first, and this is just an introduction. We're going to get a lot more into the story. But I just want to focus on those first three words of that, don't give this is the reality that many of you guys right here, you've been through depression, you've been through discouragement, you've been through tough times, but some of you, someone here in this room today, probably many of you plus folks online, you're not just coming through it. You don't know if you can escape it. And it's in hot pursuit of you and you feel like you're being sucked into a hopeless vortex where it just seems to get worse and worse. Isn't it interesting that when something goes bad, it's not by itself? 
Misery does love company. One thing goes wrong. It's like this thing goes wrong with your car. Well, then you get sick, and then something happens on the job, and then one of your kids goes through a thing. It's not ever by itself. Life comes in waves, and those traumas and those difficulties come in waves, and those things can sometimes swamp us and make us feel like there is no point to, one, honoring God. There is no point to trying to be good in a world that is wicked and upside down and only the wicked prosper. It's no point... There's really no point to life. And the reality is some of you have fought those thoughts and some of you are fighting that fight and some of you are right now today in a place where you're trying to figure out what's the point of going on and what's in front of me that's worth this. I want to tell you, this is a story of hope and this is a story of dreams that God takes from this derailed, off-the-tracks kind of place and puts them back in the center, but it takes time and it takes our commitment to letting him lead us in spite of how it looks. Maybe you're there now. You feel like checking out. Maybe you guys heard about the incredibly painful, sad thing that happens just down the road from us at, you know, reality, uh, I'm sorry, Real Life Church in Valencia. The campus pastor who, after a long battle with depression and mental illness, took his life just this past week. And friends, this is all too common. Just not even a year ago, there was another young pastor, a successful, brilliant young pastor down, in, down south that just took his life. It's happening more and more in the church. And I'm not even talking about just in the secular world among our soldiers returning home from, you know, being stationed elsewhere. I'm just saying that this is a reality that we are all coming to have to, grip, to grips with, that our world is so hard. It is so dark. It is so scary. It feels so hopeless. And somebody may here just be feeling like, man, nobody really understands. And you feel like giving up and walking away and, and, and just wanted to encourage you today. When God's in your story, you can make it. And twists and turns and upside downs and those kinds of things aren't there to destroy you. They're there to make you. They will... In the story we're going to go through, you're going to discover this, but God has a way of taking the worst possible things of life and turning them over for good. Not that he caused them, not that he made them, but because of our freedom to choose. We have destroyed so much of what life is meant to be, and God takes the broken reality and weaves it back into the story of hope, just like Tyler talked about this morning, your hope. And others of you are probably going like, man, you're, I'm doing fine. This is, what a depressing sermon. Maybe I came on the wrong day. You know, wives, there's a lot of women at the women's retreat today, and so we have a lot of moms gone, and so dads are like, man, I should have just stayed home. It was really hard to get here anyway. You know, Dave, that sounds kind of negative. Can you be more positive? Okay, here's the, I'm positive. You will need this message one day. I'm positive. If you're not going through a difficulty now, you will. So mark some of these things down. Take some notes. And in fact, somebody near you probably needs the hope. So I was reflecting this past week. Um, on what life has been for me and my dreams as I'm preparing this message I'm thinking of what are the dreams that I had and and it's interesting that how all of our stories take these incredible twists and turns and I was going through some of my reflecting on how hard and painful my story has been and my story has been a good story and how hard it was be, has been to hang on for you know the the life of the church and the belief in doing you know doing this ministry thing and all that when I could be out doing some so many other things that make a ton of money and just set me up for a, a future you know ease and all that and just like how easy it would have been and how much I felt so many times like I just wanted to walk away and do something else 
and how many of you feel that way, and I'm so grateful to God that I didn't. Because here's what I've discovered. God's story isn't done no matter what the current chapter looks like. And for some of those times, those weeks, those months, those years where I felt like my story was pointless, I might as well go do something that really helps me if I'm not helping anybody else. I'm so grateful that God brought me back to the story he gave me when I was a child that basically said, in my heart, I just knew I wanted to do something that made a difference for people forever. I wanted to help people discover the incredible love of God and the opportunity they had to know him, to walk with him, to have a relationship. I wanted to be a part of something that made a difference in people's lives forever. And he brought me back to that story over and over again, and I'm so grateful he did. Well, today, let's get into the story. Joseph, chapter 37 of Genesis. We're going to be in verse 5. Here's how it starts. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, guess what? They hated him all the more. Now, obviously, that's not the first line. <clears throat> We're jumping into verse 5. You've got to go back and read the whole story. It's quite significant, but it's really in, in detail. So let me point out that his brothers hated him not just because he had a dream. They already hated him. The dream just pushed it over the edge, right? <clears throat> we'll tell you why. Joseph had brought a little bit of this trouble on himself. We find in verse 5 through 7. Because Joseph said to them, listen. Listen to this dream I had. Okay, here he is with his brothers outside, just these brothers again from all these different mothers, non-favorites. Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field. You know like how corn stalks get all bunched together for like Halloween? Okay, this is what they did with the wheat. They'd bind it all up in big sheaves, and uh, that's how they would let it dry, and they would collect it for harvest. Well, we were out there binding sheaves when suddenly my sheave rose up and stood upright. Well, your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Isn't that great? I'm sure his brothers were thinking, well, Joseph, that just blesses my heart. <laughs> no. It said it made them so angry, they conspired to kill him. Verse 19. They saw him coming another day at a distance, and they said, here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, come on, come on, now. let's kill him. Let's just kill him. And let's throw him out into one of those cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. See, this is a guy who actually got a dream from God. Who actually had a weird but significant dream from God. I mean, you think about it, the wisdom wasn't there. I mean, he's 17 years old. I didn't make my best. I left at 17, you know, going away to school and all that. But I didn't make my best decisions for a few years, a lot of them, like 30 years. But here we find a 17-year-old is making a decision to tell his brothers something that already is going to throw fuel on the fire. Sure, it was true. Yes, it was from God. But perhaps it wasn't the best time to share it with them. And if we were to sit down with Joseph... <clears throat> And to talk to him, I think he would say, listen, I know what you're going through. I think he would encourage us. Don't give up. I know how hard it is and I know how sometimes it seems like everything is against you. It doesn't make sense right now, but please don't give up on the dream God gave you. Please don't give up. And it's a very serious message because <clears throat> we're in a very serious time. 
So let me just break it down. I'm going to give you uh, just a handful of things, uh, see how far we get, and we'll pick it up next week, <clears throat> that we can learn from Joseph's story about not giving up. You can write these down. First one, don't give up on God-given dreams because even if you don't, even if you don't start well, don't give up on God-given dreams even if you didn't start very well. A lot of us have stories that didn't start very well. A lot of us are plagued by a resume that has a lot of really negative stuff on it. As a matter of fact, if you were to present your resume to a potential spouse, they'd probably be like, no, nah, I'm looking for somebody with a lot less junk, a lot less baggage. If we were to tell everybody ahead of time, they probably wouldn't hire us. They'd keep looking. You got a lot of stuff I just don't want to have to deal with. And we have a hard time believing in a future because we can't shake our past. And we have a hard time seeing down the road because it seems like we haven't got out of the bog we've been in. We can't li live forward because we're con every time we try to look forward, we see the rearview mirror and it's chasing us. That stuff from my past won't go away. I mean, think about this. I mean, think about it. The Bible literally says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, and to cleanse us. To cleanse us. That means to scour clean, completely spotless, all our unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. He promises if we confess, that means we own it, we turn from it, God takes it and removes it. And this is, let me just explain to this. That doesn't mean that God just says, okay, you said sorry, so we're going to be good. No, what God did was God said, listen, you created a debt and the debt remains. Even saying I'm sorry doesn't remove your debt. Any more than knocking somebody's tooth out and saying, hey, that was really bad of me. I'm really sorry. Can we put the tooth back? Doesn't work that way. When you blow up somebody's heart and you destroy somebody's life, you don't just get to say sorry and walk away. And the scriptures are clear. Our sins have consequences. And when we say, I'm sorry, guess what? God says, listen, I'm not just going to say it's okay. What I'm going to do, the punishment has to be levied against you. And it's almost like the guy who gambles and gambles and gambles and he loses everything he has and finally he gambles his very life. That's all he has left and loses. And it's kind of like God steps in and says, I see your debt and I see that your life is forfeit. Tell you what, your debt has to be paid. I'm paying it for you. It's kind of like you run up a bill on your visa and you can't possibly pay it. You, you charge so much stuff that it's like I'll never catch up. And God says, you won't, but I'll tell you what. I'm going to use my credit for your account. I'm going to wipe yours clean. It's kind of like going to the restaurant and you order a bunch of food and you can't pay for it and somebody else pays for it. And then you keep trying to pay for it over and over again. No, but let me pay. It's already paid. But, but I feel really bad. It's already paid. This is what Jesus did. He paid the debt. It isn't that he just said, oh, it's okay. He said, I will pay your debt forever. My blood will cover your wrong. I will sacrifice for you. And this is the thing, you have to get to the point where you recognize Jesus was put to death to pay for your sins, so your past isn't just ignored by God, it's paid for and gone. It's gone. Some of you are still running from a sin that you have already asked God's forgiveness, and you don't know how to outrun it. And it's haunting you. So why is it sometimes we feel like our past is chasing us? A couple reasons. First, our actions have consequences. Now, I can say sorry, and God will forgive me. He's promised to do that. When I confess my sins, he's faithful and just. Forgive me, cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So he does it. Jesus takes the cross and says, Father, forgive them. I'm taking their place. He does it. 
But there's a sowing reaping part of this, that the human interaction, because I not only live to myself and to God, but I live in relationship to others. And when I wound you and I say sorry to Jesus, Jesus forgives me, but guess who I have to live with? And when I steal something from you and then I say sorry, guess what? God's forgiveness is real, but it is also that we have to live with the rest of our lives with the consequences of our choices. That's why Jesus says, come follow me and I'm going to give you life, life to the fullest. It's not because he just wants to make you a weirdo and live like, you know, religious fanatic. It's because if you don't live the way Jesus said, you're going to have all this baggage chasing you all your life. You're going to keep having these things reoccurring in your life that you're like, man, but I don't know where this stuff is coming from. You're planting it, and it's growing. That's the thing about consequences. That was part of it, sowing and reaping, right? <clears throat> I think that we sometimes forget that we have to live with some of the consequences, but God's plan is, is so much better. He will relieve not only the sin's guilt, but God will lead us through the consequences to a better place where we can even escape sometimes so many of the broken things that we have created. I've watched it true in my own life. There's another reason that we can't seem to get away from our past, and here's the one that some of you are dealing with, and you don't even know it. You have an enemy. He's called the accuser. It's called Satan, Lucifer, the devil. One of his names literally translates the accuser, the, the one who accuses. And it's like standing in court, and somebody's pointing out all your wrongs and just calling you out on everything you've ever done. And it's like he loves to call out your wrong. He loves to celebrate what you've done. He loves to throw it back in your face and to remind you who you were and what you've done. And he will try. He will try to keep you from going forward. That is what he does. And that is why Jesus keeps saying, it's paid for. It's paid for. There are some things you'll have to work through in the physical dimension of this life, but you have no sins. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. God relieves the condemnation. So if you're feeling condemned, if you're feeling accused after you've already confessed it and you've already turned to Christ and you've already repented of that, it's not Jesus condemning you. It's an accuser. And he wants to keep you from going forward. A lot of people give up on the faith because I, oh, I've messed up so much. It's just too much to get past. It's so much baggage. A lot of things I've done wrong. I just, you know, I just got this history. It reminds me all the time I can't make, make forward progress. It kind of reminds me of that old story. Guy goes in the pet store. He walks in the pet store. He's looking around. He notices this gorgeous big parrot on a perch over on the side. And, and all of a sudden the parrot says, hey, you. Hey, buddy. He goes, me? He goes, yeah, come here. Guy goes over to the parrot. He goes, yeah? He goes, you are ugly. You are the ugliest person I've ever You are U-G-L-Y. You ain't got no alibi. You're ugly. And the guy's like, oh, my gosh, that's so. And he runs over. He finds the store owner. He goes, you wouldn't believe what your parrot just said. He just totally offended me. He just, he just insulted me. He said this. And like, the guy's like shocked. He goes, really? He's never done that before. He goes over and he smacks the bird around a little bit. Don't you treat my customers that way? The guy leaves the store. I'm sorry. That's a child. I mean, that's animal abuse. Forget that part. He didn't smack it around. <laughs> he scolded. Well, about a month later, the guy comes back to the store. He walks in. And as he's looking around, he catches the corner of his eye. He sees the bird again. And the bird just looks at him. The bird goes, Hey, you, buddy. He's like, me? He goes, yeah, come here. So the guy's walking over there. The bird leans in, and then he happens to catch out of the corner of his eye. He sees the store owner watching him. So he just looks at the guy and goes, yeah, you know what. <laughs> and I feel like that's all Satan does in your life, in my life. You know what? Oh, you know what? 
Oh, she thinks you're this, but you know what. She thinks you were there, but you know what. He thinks this, you know what. You want to be better, but you know what. You think you're over it. You think you've done with it. You thought you're free from it, but you know what. You know who you are. And I feel like some of us live the rest of our lives in the you-know-what from the evil one instead of the freedom that Jesus gave. And he says, to whom the son sets free is free indeed. Live free. God wants us to live free. And when you hear that you-know-what in your ear, it is not Jesus. It is the accuser. I think that's what the devil does 24-7. You know what. That's right. You. I, I just love the way that God takes stories of brokenness from our previous life or our early years, the things that started us off on the wrong foot and turns us around. I was talking with Shelly this morning. Shelly Freeman wrote a book, You Know Me Then. You Knew Me Then. He Knew Me Then. And it's, I'm telling you, the, the book, I gave it away because it was so good. I'm like, I read it and I was blown away by the story of her life and the way God took some of the incredible painful things of her experience and transform them into every single week. She's here serving, worshiping, and part of the story that God is forming called Journey. And it's a story of redemption of somebody's past. I love it. Paul, we've talked about him in a recent series. Before he was like the man of the New Testament, he was actually a real zealot who went out to destroy the works of Jesus, thought that that was a cult, and he went out to really destroy Jesus' church. He literally dragged people into court, called them blasphemers, and blasphemy was a death offense. He put together one of the, he put to death one of the first Christian leaders of the church, Stephen. He had him put to death because of his blasphemy, calling Jesus God. This guy had an encounter with Jesus where Jesus said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You're actually fighting against God, transformed his life, turned him upside down. This guy who carried all of this baggage of what he had done and what he had started in the church and how he killed people and how he'd been a part of the shame of the past, he, he had to face that in order to become Paul the apostle. But Jesus led him through that. Later, he becomes the most, you know, go get them, start church planting Guy in the New Testament writes most of the New Testament. This is, this is the Apostle Paul, a life transformed because of a dream that God rerouted. Some of you have horrible resumes. Be honest. You do. But just know that the Bible is full of people with bad resumes that God took and transformed and made something amazing. Regardless of your yesterday, you can still do great things for God today. Paul even said, 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful. He appointed me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. God changed my life. He didn't give up on my story. This is your story, some of you. Don't give up on your God-given dream, dreams because you had a bad start. Next, don't give up on your God-given dreams, even though those closest to you don't support you, don't believe in you. Here's what we discover, Genesis 37, 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and they couldn't even speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. I love how it just goes from that to straight into the story. No buts, just Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Some of you were brutalized growing up. You were rejected. You felt like an outcast. You didn't belong. 
I don't know if it's because of a blended family. I don't know if it's because of teenage pregnancy. I don't know if it's because your, your parents weren't prepared. They weren't skilled. They weren't whatever. But some of you went through some horrific things as children. And you feel like, at times, you don't know how to get over that. And you've got negative feedback coming from the people in your life who don't believe in you. And their voices carry a lot of weight, particularly the male figure, a role model figure in your life. It carries a lot of weight. So if he told you you're not a man, you're not a real man, you're not enough, it hurts. And for all of you who went through that, Joseph is saying, I felt the shame of my brothers hating me. It was to no fault of his own. I mean, he did not call his dad to love him more. He just was. Some of you, it wasn't your fault. It had nothing to do with you. It just was the circumstances of your life where people who did not believe in you, did not like you, and you don't even know why. And you're getting negative feedback and rejection from people. I mean, parents, we have no idea what our words say to our kids and how much weight they carry. Even Jesus had this dilemma of people not believing him. As popular as his ministry was, you got to understand that there was a moment when Jesus was overworking and doing miracles in this house, and they said, Jesus, your brothers and sisters are outside, and your mom, and they, they want to talk to you. And the scriptures say because they came to get him because they thought he was losing his mind. They wanted to take him out because they did not believe in him as the Messiah. They didn't believe. Jesus' own family didn't believe in him. How hurtful is that? I mean, later, Mark records this. People said this of Jesus. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't these his sisters who are here with us? In other words, we know who you are. We grew up with you. You're nothing special. And they took offense at him. Only, Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his own relatives, in his own house, is a prophet without honor. And he could do no miracles there because they did not believe. I feel like some of you feel like you can't do anything great with your life because people don't believe. I want you to know that has to hurt. A lot of people face rejection. Joseph experienced that as well. He experienced massive rejection from his brothers. Not just rejection, but hate. It's one thing to be rejected. It's another thing to be wanted dead. They wanted it. We're talking human trafficking. His own brothers sell him into slavery. But Joseph would not give up the dream or the hope that God had a purpose. As we wrap up today, final thing I want to say is don't give up on your dreams, but realize God's dream for you may be different than your dream for yourself. I think that this is what happens a lot of times. If we could interview Joseph, I think Joseph, we would say, Joseph, what is it you want for your life? If he was young, before all this happened, if we were just to take a young guy and say, what do you want? He would say, I want to be happy. And in general, that would probably mean in those days, well, I want to I have a home next to my dad. I really love my dad. I want to be near him. I want to I marry a really good-looking Jewish girl. I want to have lots and lots of cattle. I want to build a little house. I want to have a little farm. I want to be happy. I doubt you would ever hear him say, oh, I want all the sheaves to come and bow down to me. I want the stars in the heavens to come and worship me. He wouldn't say those kind of things. He would just say, I just want to be a regular guy with a regular life. I want to be pr prosperous and successful. I want to be happy. But God says, hey, Joseph, I'm sorry. Your dream is not exactly my dream yet. I have a bigger dream. Let me give it to you. 
And my dream includes 22 years of some painful ups and downs, some unbelievable mistreatment and misunderstandings, nasty accusations. Eventually, however, eventually, however, you will rise to prominence in the greatest country and civilization in the world, and you will change human history. Do you want that dream? Because so many of our dreams, here's the problem with our dreams. They're our size. They're what we can do. Our dreams are small enough for us to get our hands around, and if they're that small, maybe God has a different dream that's a little bit bigger. The other problem with our dreams is who's at the center of it? Me. And if my dreams only serve me, guess what? That's too small a world to die for. That's too small a world to give my life and eternity for. God says, I want to invite you into a dream that's so much bigger. But at the center of it, you'll find God and his purpose. This is for many of us. I have a plan for you, God would be saying. And your plan, it's just not big enough. And what God, sometimes, I've watched this tons of times, what God does. He takes your dream that's been with you your whole life, and then he reorients it around his purposes and his plan and explodes it into something you never saw coming. He makes it something you couldn't have imagined. Your dream started out right, but it was too small. Centered on the wrong power source, and you needed him. Some of you, you have a dream today. You want to do something with your life. You want to, I don't care what age you are. I mean, look in the scriptures. Abraham, Noah was, was ancient in his, you know, he was in the three-figure range. So was Abraham. Caleb was 80 years old when he finally went and took his land. I mean, there was just so many stories of people who were older and accomplished great things, younger and accomplished great things. David was a teenager. Mary was like 14 years old when she had Jesus. I mean, we can do this regardless of where we are in our story, what age we find ourselves, or what our weaknesses are, what our past was, or what our limitations are. God has a dream, and it's, it's going to change your life when you surrender to it. Sometimes God has a different agenda because God has a different purpose. Our purpose focuses on a really good life. God's purpose focuses on a really good eternity. God's always playing the long game, and we're always looking at the short win. God's looking for the eternal thing. Sometimes it takes a longer time to shape people for bigger things. If your dream seems to have taken a while, it's probably because God has better things than you would dream for yourself. As we wrap up today, it just gives me a, a better eternal perspective. <clears throat> and I hope as we continue this series that you'll be back. I hope that you'll bring some of the things that you've struggled with and not been sure what to do with. And I, I just pray you'll bring them to God. And throughout the series, I pray that your dreams will begin to resurface. The ones that are God-given and, and have God at the center and actually have people's good in mind, not just your own prosperity and fulfillment. Can I just tell you, when, when my dreams were interrupted with God's dreams, because early on, I just wanted to be rich. I just wanted to have a good life. I just wanted to be happy. Can I tell you when God took over the dream center? He took over those dreams and bumped out the me at the center of my universe part. But at the end of it all, I'm richer than I ever would have been with money. I literally consider myself a wealthy man. And I'm not at the same bank account. That's not my kind of wealth. I, I've totally re, you know, uh, readjusted to what a different definition of wealth. I am a happy, blessed man in every regard. I'm so grateful, and God took me from my little dream of me at the center and blessed me with a dream that's so much bigger and more fulfilling. I got my dreams realized. It just came in a different way, and I just think, man, God wants to do some amazing things in your life, 
And what we're going to do is we're going to spend a little time unpacking that. If the band comes this morning, I want to pray over you. And I want to pray for those of you who say, man, I'm not sure I've even got a dream. I'm not even sure I can muster up the energy to hope for something. Life is just too hard. I'm just in a rut. I'm just in this groove. I just can't change anything. Well, God can. I want to just pray over you. If you would, I'd just ask you to bow your heads with me today. Our great Heavenly Father, our gracious, loving God, my prayer today is, for first of all, for any who in this room today have not found relationship with you to be the central part of their life and are somehow maybe just discovering or maybe just orbiting, but they have not centered their life on you and they're still trying to make sense of all these broken pieces. They're still trying to make something purposeful of something that makes no sense. And my prayer today is that they would come to the center of it all, which is you. They would find themselves in the reality in you. They would find their dreams in you. That they would find themselves alive again in you. That they would abandon their pursuit of life and pursuit and perfection on their own. They would come and accept the fact that you gave them everything that's necessary for the life to the fullest. If we trust you, turn from our self-serving, self-leading days and follow you. And I pray this would be a day for somebody to do that today. If you're here and that's you, man, this is, this is an opportunity you can have just to step in the direction of God and his purpose for your life. Just a simple prayer of surrender. God, I recognize my life is anything but fulfilling and right. I want to make it your life. I want to I come to you and I need your forgiveness. I need to turn away and I need to have the power to walk away from the things that have destroyed me and made me weak and cause me all the sowing and reaping consequences. I want to turn from that. So give me the life and the power I need to make a fresh start. I put my trust in you. And for everyone else, God, my prayer is that our dreams would begin to take shape around the reality of who you are, the power of the resurrection that's going to be unleashed in this church community as we begin to believe your great news for this coming, this coming season in this community. We believe the power of the Holy Spirit is unleashed not only back then, but now in our lives to bring about the good that you desire. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I pray that true of us, Lord, from this point forward, we seek you, we ask for it. Move in our behalf. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guys, stand with me. We're going to sing one last time. We're going to send you out to watch the Super Bowl and do all that fun stuff today. But let's worship God. Put God at the center once more before we leave.
Thank you, church. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.